extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. In this podcast series, we've been talking with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are coping with the unprecedented closure of their school buildings and how they're planning for the future. Today, June 12th, we are circling back to talk with two of the educators we talked with back in April, shortly after the school buildings closed. We're talking with Sergio Garcia, principal of Artesia High School in ABC Unified District in Los Angeles County, California, and Vincent Romano, principal of Malvern High School in Nassau County, New York. Both of them lead schools that I profiled in my book, Schools That Succeed, published in 2017. I want to hear how they are doing and how their schools are doing and what they're thinking about for the summer and fall. Mr. Garcia and Dr. Romano, welcome. I hope you're both healthy and safe. Healthy and safe. Thank you very much. So I've begun every one of my interviews asking if the folks I'm talking with are safe and healthy. And until recently, I've always been thinking only about coronavirus. But we're talking a few days after George Floyd's funeral, and that question has new layers to it. Dr. Romano, I know that the students in your school, most of whom are African-American, are acutely aware that they face racism in their daily lives because they spoke to me very eloquently about it. I'm wondering if Malvern as a school has been able to have a conversation about the murder of George Floyd, and if so, how? I'll tell you, uh, you know, this is a remarkable teaching opportunity, and uh, it's been very frustrating to not be in the building with the kids. And uh, unfortunately for us, there was, there was quite a few distractions. And uh, Karen, I know you, you, you spent some, a lot of time at Malvern, so you know our diversity is something we're very proud of. We consider it a strength something that's celebrated. Um, but we had some stuff social uh, surface on social media, um, some stuff that was taken out of a group, a group chat. Um, and then with some students that were from another school that put some uh, stuff up that was wildly inappropriate. And I'll tell you that um, that created quite a firestorm. And that's something that we, so we were kind of reacting as opposed to being a little bit more proactive and doing something we wanted to do. And uh, as you know, there's so much emotion in, in, in this. There's a lot of emotion. Um, a lot of anger. So we've been kind of, uh, you know, putting out fires and, and trying to bring people together. In fact, you know, next week we're bringing in some smaller groups of students with parents, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with restorative circles. Um, you know, we, we do quite a bit of that. So I'll tell you, that's, that's where we're going to start healing because I think we need to heal right now. I'm a little embarrassed to say that, but I know Malvern's not, you know, immune to the ills that plague society and the nation. Um, but that's certainly not reflective of who we are. And I, I know you can attest to that. So um, that's that's where we are right now. And, uh, you know, I reached out, actually, the, the president of the NAACP in Lakeview reached out to me as well. So I'll tell you, you know, I, I really believe we're going to come out of this stronger. Um, I spoke with a lot of community members from, from a lot of local churches, um, and we're putting together a coalition group. I know one of the first things we spoke about, and I'm really excited, was, you know, we're looking, hopefully things loosen up again as they seem to be trending that way. Uh, sometime in August to do like a peace rally or a unity rally and a barbecue. Uh, our kids are so talented. Um, something to bring us all back together again because it's been a little bit rough. It's been very rough. When you say something emerged from another school nearby, can you? I, yeah, I can tell. I, mean, I, so I made up some something, stuff. but that's not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I can only say so much, but the most egregious and most um, 
derogatory comments came from students from another school. Um, and that got attached to a student in my school. And someone had created something with everything and put it out there. So it's really polarized the community. I, I can't even tell you. Um, it's been a little bit rough. But uh, like I said, I'm, I'm optimistic. And I think we're going to come out of this stronger than ever before. That that does sound difficult. Sergio, uh, how about your school? You have many fewer African-American students. Most of your students are Latino or Hispanic. Um, how have you been able to have a conversation about George Floyd or, and if so, how? We really haven't. Uh, we haven't done much. There's been really a lot of unity between the students. We had one single incident from a freshman and we were able to deal with that immediately. So it didn't spread. Um, I was sitting here listening to the other experience and I'm going, Oh my God, I'm so happy. You know, that our kids have not reacted. We also had a neighborhood school or a, a school in the district that had some major issues. They actually, there's a march today to the district office. And for the first time in my 15 years, our teacher high school is not involved. And I'm kind of happy that we haven't been mentioned. Uh, kind of giving me some relief there. Um, and everything else that has ever happened, there's all, we're always doing something. There's something going on. And sometimes I talk about the fact that we can't have a success without something dragging it down because something happens right after that. Um, so you can I really, you, you identify with what Dr. Romano said. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I was just remembering different experiences that we have had and how quickly they can evolve and how quickly, you know, they can take you down from any success that you have had. So, I mean, I always tell people we work this really tight rope at Artesia. We work a, a rope that it can go in any direction. We are actually the homeschool for one of the most, racist gangs and all of California and openly transgenerational racist gang in California. And they have handled it really well. There's been an incredible amount of unity among the students. We also had a drive-through graduation this week and that brought the seniors and everybody together. We did it differently than other people. We actually um, configured our parking lot to be able to fit about 300 cars at a time in it as they were snaking, kind of like a magic mountain uh, ride. So the kids got to see each other. We had a DJ playing. We had all kinds of trust going on. And it was really neat, the experience that they had. Kind of reminded me of cruising when I was younger. And so they were sitting there kind of cruising in the parking lot and talking to each other from each other's cars. Their families were in the car. And there was really no expression. We were ready. I mean, i got to be really honest. We had security galore there. We didn't know how kids were going to react the first time that they were together in a situation like this of families. And we had zero incidents. It was outstanding. Uh, I was really proud of them. And the only side effect we have had is now the kids are, the juniors are saying, can we have a graduation like that instead of regular graduation? That was way too much fun. But we've been doing really well. And then actually, you know, at around 1, 1 I'm going to head over to the protest that's coming to the district office to, you know, kind of listen, see what's happening. There's been a lot of issues at that school for a long time. Um, it's one of our best performing schools, but um, it, there's been a lot of things there. And I think I need to be there to support the principal. Interesting. Well, so I, I talked with each of you early on when you were both kind of catching your breath and setting up systems to make sure students were all connected to school and able to do the work. But you also both acknowledge barriers your students faced, you know, watching little brothers and sisters, having family members get COVID and so forth. Sergio, I, that's a great story about your graduation. Um, Dr. Romano, like what, I know you were 
thinking, how are we going to have graduation the last time we talked? How are you going to have graduation? Well, listen, um, we're, go- we're going to go live and we're pushing it back to August. And that's, that's been the trend here on Long Island. I tell you, Governor Cuomo, I'm sure you guys are experiencing somewhat the same thing is everything's been pieced out. It's been wonderful planning. And uh, every, every few weeks it changes and something new happens. So he didn't announce that we can have live graduations, um, but not until uh, probably August. So we're looking at August 7th. But I'll tell you, Sergio, we, we had something very similar to yours planned. We surveyed the kids and, you know, what was the most important part of graduation? Um, ironically, um, the last one was hearing the speeches. <laughs> then it was friends and family, because I thought that would have been a little bit further up the line. Uh, but really what they wanted was, was to walk in their cap and gown and hear the name announced. Those two things came up. It was like 70% of the kids said that was like the part they would miss the most. So listen, we called all the local fire departments. We had them all set up. We, had this, we, we got a stage. The kids were going to walk across the stage. Anyway, long, to- long story short, when they announced the live graduation, the kids really wanted it the traditional way. But I'm with you, Sergio. I, I, think, I think the kids would have liked this better than the real one. You know, we got kind of the same reaction. We had some... Uh, the kids say, you know, we want a live graduation. And as soon as they went to the drive-thru, they loved it because basically they were driving through the stage and getting their name announced. We have 200-foot screens where their picture would appear as they came through in their car. And they were there, you know, with their diploma cover that we gave them. Um, It's been, it it was really, really fun. Yeah, so we did a lot of planning, but we did push it back. So we're excited. That seems to be what the kids want. So um, we're doing it. August 7th. It's going to be interesting. Will it be outside or inside? We always do outside. On your field. field. Which is nice. We're a, small, we're a small school, so we have that as an advantage. So we'll be outside. Um, hopefully it's not uh, 95 degrees and hot and humid like it usually is. Uh, yeah, Long Island can get hot in August. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, what? how are you both thinking about reopening in the fall? Um Mr. Garcia, we were talking about master schedules and putting together the schedules the last time we um, we talked. Both of you, I know, are real master schedule people. Like, how are you thinking about setting up? Are you going to be able to bring everybody back or are you going to have some kids coming in sometimes and not other times? How are you thinking about that? No, I happen to be in the task force for the district of reopening. And we're just, uh, we're trying to make a recommendation to the school board, and we really are coming up with three different models. Uh, the first model will be a hybrid model in which kids come back to school for only two days. And then uh, half of the school comes for two days, I'm sorry. Then Wednesdays, the day for teachers to catch up, for students to disinfect the school, and I go through everything, all the logistical pieces of that. And then Thursday or Friday, group B comes to school. Now, two days a week, as far as I'm concerned, is not enough. I'll give you my editorial. That's not going to work. Uh, I know that's the preferred by some of the district uh, people, but as usual, I have talked to teachers, I've talked to different people, and we are not, we're not going to let that one go. The second model is a hybrid model, I mean, sorry, and a virtual academy model in which a district would actually create another school. So we will create our first virtual academy in ABC Unified. Uh, that could work. The problem with that is that that will take the enrollment from our schools into that virtual academy. The kids will be with teachers they have never met because they'll be pulling teachers from every school. And my kids won't show up if they don't know you. My kids don't come to school because they want to get that A. They come to school because of that positive relationship with that teacher. They get grades because they want to please that teacher that they like. So we're concerned with that one. 
And I don't see my kids wanting to uh, go for a whole year because enrollment is also for a whole year. So the third option came from the principals, actually, and we want to do a virtual academy in our own schools. I don't think we're ready to go back. L.A. County has hit, been hit really, really heavily, and we're not even close to having the level of comfort that we can go back. However, if everything that we have heard, that there's a possibility for a vaccine in November, November, December. If that happens, and that's wishful thinking, if that happens, we could come back second semester. But we will go to a virtual academy, but actually what we did at the present time, it was we were going asynchronous. So we're teaching by assignment. It wasn't the best teaching. It was done in an emergency, and we're going to put it together. We're going to have the grading reflect the emergency that we're sitting in as California declare no harm policy and, and grading. But simultaneously, I think that that was not good for kids. That wasn't good for special ed kids. And next year, I'll be 24% special ed. Uh, I'll be over 20% ELD. My ELD and special ed kids are not being successful in this. ELD and being English language learners, right? English language learners. And what happens now is we believe the virtual community doing synchronous education, just like we're doing, Zooming with the teacher. Most colleges, I got two girls in college that are sitting in class left and right right now. They finished their regular school. I fear they can't go anywhere, so they took summer classes. Um, and their lecture is being recorded. There's interaction. You're able to put people into groups. Well, if we come to school, some of the restrictions that we're facing are having a, everybody having a face mask, teachers having face shields. You can only have 16 kids or less in a the classroom. They all have to be facing forward, so you go back to putting all the desks in rows after we work so hard on not having them in rows and making sure there is no interaction closer than six feet. I can't imagine having a face mask in a classroom all day long. Hallways have to be one-way hallways. Um, can you, even if your class is next door, you got to go all the way around the building. You have to start the day by every kid washing their hands before they even come in through the gate. So now we're going to have to put sinks outside. Uh, with all those restrictions, I just don't see us being able to open. And I don't think anybody in the world, for all the research I've done, has opened secondary schools. Most people have tried to open elementary schools. Uh, I don't even think they went to middle schools at all. And what has happened is after two weeks, they shut down. Uh, there's a success, successful in China. There's a couple of schools that were successful in opening, but I don't think other than that, any people has been able to do it. So we don't think we're at a point that we can come back. We really need to look at the virtual academy version, but virtual academy uh, site base, running our own master schedule. We have our master schedule completed as usual. Um, what we will do is our kids take uh, in a four by four, they take eight classes. We will reduce them to six. We thought there was a big disadvantage uh, right now that did the online learning that they were taking eight classes that were being bombarded with assignments. We actually have to step in. But um, I think that we will reduce them to six. And if we can make this virtual academy go for the school, uh, kids can start being successful again. Wow. So, so Dr. Romano, how, like, what, what are your plans? How, how do you, how are you processing what he just said? It's uh, it's overwhelming, as you can imagine. So, um, you know, again, we, we have to get back in the building. I mean, I just think it's so important to have the kids face-to-face that, that you know, the, the relationships that Sergio said so important. So one way or another, we have to get them in the building. And, and you, know, you know, we looked even social distancing in our classroom. If we social distance kids at six feet, we can fit 11 kids in a class. Um, you know, initially we started playing with some ideas of an A and PM because, you know, the big factor too is what are you going to do for lunch? And kids are supposed to sit where and eat how. 
So like a morning session, the kids come in for the morning session, they can get their lunch and they can leave. You know, we do have some outside seating if they want to sit outside where you can distance a little bit better. And then like a PM group would come in and, and they can eat at home or eat prior to and come to school. So that would eliminate the lunch problem, which is something that um, is a huge obstacle. And then even thinking about a kid's going to sit in one classroom and, and the teachers are going to move from class to class because that would certainly be less um, you know, less interaction. And then, you know, imagine all the teachers in the hallway, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you know, at the teachers to get the class and they're hanging out in the halls. But then could you imagine students sitting in a class for, you know, four hours, six hours, even two hours, an hour. There's so many complexities and obstacles to what we know works in teaching and learning. And it's just so hard. I mean, our virtual learning went well. Again, it was piecemeal. We never thought it was going to be 14 weeks, right? And it just kept lengthening and lengthening. So we have to strengthen our virtual learning programs. You know, so right now we have a reopening task force and we kind of have different compartments of it. Just from entering the building, I, I went to the hospital the other day and I walked in and they asked me to stand there and I'm standing there and I look up, it looks like there was a camera. They were taking my temperature. So do we need those in the building. It comes in, you check their temperature. As Sergio said, we have sinks outside, they can wash their hand. There's just so many components to this. Um, I just know we have to get the kids back in the building in some capacity. Well, and I'll just say that, Sergio, you have you have a lot of outdoor space. You're California. You're lo- Southern California. You don't have weather, right? <laughs> you know, it's a big day if it rains. Nassau County, not so much. Uh, you have real weather. You have real winter. You have real rain and so forth. So it's harder to see. Like, Sergio, I could sort of see your kids kind of hanging out more outside, but I don't. I can, it's hard to imagine that sort of starting in maybe November for Malvern or December, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of cold, wind chill, you know, set, real feel seven degrees. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll toughen them up a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there you go. But, but you guys are both expressing what I have been like, I've been getting this rising panic about about people talking about, well, we're going to reopen schools. Exactly how? Exactly how? You you both are really grappling with exactly the the details that that involves. You've been measuring your your classrooms and thinking about, okay, where where do those 11 kids sit? And by the way, they can't get up and move. They can't sharpen their pencils. They can't do anything, right? Um, these are... Think about using the bathroom, in the bathrooms. How, are, yeah. how is that going to happen? The details. Well, you, have to, you will have to install dividers even, you know, I'll tell you, tell you as a guy, you know, even the urinals will have specific dividers to go through. There's a distance between toilet and toilet that has to be put into place. And we have looked at all those pieces. And... I can tell you that I just don't see, especially when we're facing major budget cuts, because of the company shutting down, California has a $54 billion <laughs> deficit. So we're looking at a 20% reduction in our school budget. The district's trying to make up over $9 million that they're going to lose, and we're declining enrollment district. So to spend all that money, because we will have to put hand sanitizer stations, at least two in each building, by every exit door. Um, we will have to have sinks in the building that are not just in restaurants. We would have washed their hands. Um, you'll need the masks. You'll the need the shields. You'll need all the, the, you need all the, all the, all the stuff. I mean, and um, outside the fact that, you know, 
I have a wife that's a nurse manager and she works at Children's LA. I can tell you that I hear the stories about the nurses wearing the mask all day long and the face, the skin degradation that they happen and what happens when teachers start having it. They start trying to remove their mask or when kids start having it and they're trying to remove their mask and be able to keep them together. Um, that's going to be a task. At this point, even though we have this huge area outside, we're told our kids cannot go to recess. And if they ever go to recess in elementary, it's an example that they use, they have to have their own ball. They cannot share a ball. They cannot pass a ball to somebody else. Well, you know, I can probably get a high school kid to go shoot some baskets, but and I don't know how they're going to play anything to do anything because our kids still go and do soccer. They do uh, football in the, in the blacktop. So we will have to prevent any of that happening. There's all kinds of problems that we, we're not equipped to deal with at this point. There's also a huge push to strengthen our virtual learning, you know, and maybe a little bit more research in that area to what works. I just didn't feel very comfortable with it. I mean, even with my own three children here, I didn't feel that it was really a learning experience. And it wasn't for a lack of effort on the teachers, part of the schools, because, you know, they did a good job. I don't know. It's just tough. It's, it's, you have to do a better job there. Well, and, and that gets to one of the points. We don't know what works. Like, we have no research guide. There's no IES, you know, research guide that kind of, uh, if you do this, this, and this, it's more effective than that, that, and that. Yep. There is nothing along those lines. So teachers are really, uh, you know, having to craft this on their own. And the question will be, like, what learning comes out of this? So everybody's doing this virtual learning. What what actually did work? Do you, do you have any sense at this point um, or... Are you still kind of going into the fall blind on that? We're looking at research. Actually, California, both LA County Office of Education as well as the state of California put um, basically a little research paper. And they went and they looked at research as a guidance on how to do virtual education, how to do, how to reopen also. Um, what the restrictions will be as well as what works in virtual education. And luckily, that dissertation I never finished in EdTech really has become really useful now when we're talking about distance learning and all the research that I did and everything that kind of comes through and how do we deliver education. And what we're in really, really pushing the same thing that we're pushing the building. It's about positive relationships. Kids are going to be there listening to you, sitting in a video camera with you if you have a positive relationship. So all the research really points up to the fact that and the universities are doing it right now, at least the two that I'm very familiar with, are doing using Zoom. And as they're using Zoom, there's an interaction between the teacher and the students. You're limiting the number of students that teachers do have to interact with in that Zoom. And you don't do it for more than 30 minutes, what the research says. So no lecture, not anything that was for more than 30 minutes. You can break them into groups after that. And we have 87-minute periods. But you have to be asynchronous. Uh, you have to be synchronous, not asynchronous. Because if not just teaching about assignment, like I told you before, might as well just pass out the worksheets and start letting it go. I think it's time for us to really do the teaching and record those teachings because you will still have the kid that's taking care of the siblings. You will still have the kid that has to go to work because the parents lost their jobs. Uh, you will have the kid that is homeless and you don't know what they're going to do. So if you record the lectures, if you record the interaction with the class, that kid can watch it at 12 midnight. I had teachers that were staying up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning trying to communicate with their kids. But it was all basically based on relationships. So we know that pushing that relationship piece 
makes sense. Not just picking up the phone and having a recording call the kids, but actually picking up the phone and calling Sergio, why are you not here in school? How come you didn't make it today? Okay, how come you didn't, I didn't see you in my class today? Just like if you were coming to the building, school happens in the computer. It happens online. So Dr. Romano, I know you you also talk a lot about relationships and how does that how does that sync with what you're thinking? The face-to-face interaction and building relationships. I mean, I don't think anything's going to trump that, but listen, it's possible. And I think one of the, the greatest advantages I said earlier was why virtual learning worked, I think, as well as it did was because they, the relationships had already existed. I couldn't imagine this happening in September. Um, so I guess if there was any silver lining, it was nice that it happened in March. And, and like you said before, they, they're not coming to school to learn. They're coming to see their teachers. Um, so there was a, you know, that's a huge part. But you know, the virtual piece for us, and I'm, sur- I'm sure for you as well, Sergio, is the inequities. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just exacerbated. You know, this, for us, the school is the equalizer. That's what we do. We equalize the playing field. When you come to us, we, we are everything to you so we can mitigate all those challenges that you face, whether your parents aren't home, um, you know, lack of support. We give you, you know, how much we do on Saturday classes. We're there after school. We're, we're reaching out to the students, tracking them. Um, it's been a little bit rough in that regard because you feel like you can't level the playing field as much as we can when we're in brick and mortar. But listen, we're going to have to look a little bit into the future and be a visionary. And uh, it's going to have to work. So we're going to have to find out a nice balance uh, because certainly just going back to school in September, that's not happening. So some sort of a hybrid of, you know, virtual learning and being in the building. And um, I think we'll get better at it. You know, when we started this, again, we never learned it was going to last 14 weeks. At least I didn't, you know, and then it was extended more. So there's a lot of things I know we can do better. And uh, listen, we have amazing teachers. They've done some great things. So we're working on a better package and a better plan uh, in September. It's going to be virtual learning on steroids this time. <laughs> so let me introduce my colleague, Tanji Reed Marshall. She's the director of practice at EdTrust. Um, Tanji, what did, like both of them talk about uh, relationships and how difficult it is to build them, particularly virtually, and how important they are to the kids they serve. Um, how did that re- resonate with you? A lot. Gentlemen, thank you again for the opportunity to chat and learn from you both. It's a pleasure. Again, um, as I listen to them share their real concerns um, about the relationship piece, and they both said, our students come to school because they're reaching out to people who care about them, right? Like the relationship was the through line. We don't know, you know, we keep hearing people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, clearly the students in their buildings know how much their teachers and the other people around them care. I was thinking back to, you know, when I did um, some work at American University, that those courses were completely online and you had to spend your whole sort of like first couple of days building the relationships virtually because those courses were um, virtual and it was tough. You know, it was tough to really figure out how to look on the tiles and and see who was getting what you're saying and look in and sort of like track the eyes and get a sense of how do I read the body language, right? When I'm inside the classroom, I can look in your face and know that you are not here, right? Or I can look and see that, okay, you're twitching. Let me change the state of the environment right now. That's a lot harder to do when we are seeing kids in this thing where we can't watch them as clearly as possible. So uh, I'm just thinking about 
what kind of professional development teachers are going to need, right, in order to help them do some of the face-to-face things that is sort of inherent into the human interactive experience and then move that into this digital remote space. How do we help teachers look into the eye of the kid? How do we help teachers pay attention to, you know, a kid who has to go off screen and then are they coming right back, right? How do we help them to pay attention to some of the nonverbals that we so easily see in face-to-face interactions that now we're going to translate into the space? How do we do that? So those were some of the things I was really thinking about um, as I listened to both of these gentlemen talk about the import of relationships. And I just don't think people understand that. I don't think that people really get down to how truly important that is. And then when they both talked about the nitty gritty elements of going back into buildings and having all of these uh, processes in place, when will they wash their hands? Who will take their temperature? How often will they be taken? How will they go to the bathroom? How will they eat? You know, at the secondary level, it's really going to be quite a challenge as they both talked about, particularly Sergio and he mentioned, it's going to be hard to have secondary schools meet the requirements and guidelines the CDC is trying to put out. You know, we've worked so hard to get away from rows and teachers on stages. And what the CDC is going to is sort of advocating and pushing as guidelines is back to rows and teachers on stages. Kids don't like that. They don't like that. So what are we going to do? Like, how do we do all that? So I was really sort of thinking about all of those structures that now people who know what's best about learning have to now retrofit into something that doesn't work well for learning. Well, one of the things that struck me, so the Senate had a hearing earlier this week Mm -hmm. about how schools would open. And they had two states superintendents or commissioners Mm -hmm. and uh, John King from the Education Trust, our president. Um, No principal. Nope. And (laughs) it's not that the state commissioners didn't have something important to say, but it's the principals who are actually going to have to operationalize this, which is a disgusting word, but but it's the truth, right? um, All of this. And they had no one from the principal core, which struck me as a, a, as a major hole in, in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And, and they're not facing the fact that the only person who like was kind of eyes rolling around in his head panicking was Senator Murphy from uh, Connecticut, Connecticut, who was yeah. like, we have to provide more money right now, now. because <laughs> the schools have to plan. They have to and plan. Instead, we heard from uh, both of, well, we heard from Mr. Garcia that he's really worried about cuts. Um, Dr. Romano, I imagine you are as well. Uh, yeah, we, we were cut as well. Uh, and, you know, I guess it was $700,000, $700, whatever you a small budget, but we cut 1.2 teachers in the district. And prior to that, we had to cut a lot of different uh, miscellaneous stuff that I think is very important, of course, um, you know, programs and things like that so that we can maintain our staff. So in New York, we get, we already got slammed. We're hoping to get some of that money back. Uh, right, but but in the, in the meantime, you've already had to let people go and you've already had to... Um, 
you know, you're going to have to rehire. That's going to be kind of a nightmare for building a school culture, right? Right. All those layoffs and rehires um, that that makes it very difficult to. Plus, teachers are going to want over the summer to kind of, uh, you know, work on their lessons and how are they going to mm-hmm. manage this and work together on on you know, they're, building they're, they're some kind of departmental, right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, they, sh- they shouldn't be doing that on a volunteer basis. Right. <laughs> no, they, right. they should be paid That's for right. that. This is not the mission field. <laughs> That's right. Right. So I, I, I fear that massive cuts will be really turning our backs on the children of America in a really profound way. I agree. Oh, I agree. I can, I can, I can tell you that we are also facing cuts. We had, we were lucky enough that we had a teacher retire, so we didn't have to replace somebody else. We just didn't replace uh, her, and then so that makes the schedule a little bit tighter. Then you have to look at administration. We're gonna be short one dean. We don't be short one administrator on the building uh, because they're not. We have a hiring freeze. If we had not had a retirement, we would have had a layoff. Every school in the district is going to be sure what an administrator looks like. It's all about student services. When I looked at my budget, I made sure that I was including the student, main student service, like the student union uh, that we run. I wanted to make sure that we were able to keep those two ladies there. I wanted to make sure that we were, able to, we were not affecting their salaries. But I can only do that for so long before the, there's, the money's just not there. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you. We absolutely need the money now. Yeah. We need schools to be able to reopen. We don't have all these extra expenditures. And there's 22,000 kids in our district. And with 22,000 students, imagine putting enough sinks all over the district for 22,000 kids all at once. Or, or just sorry. the masks alone. Right, right. right. Just, just the, the masks, masks alone. Or the shields. And that's really right. simple. Right. right. The right. shields for the teachers. Or, or like hand sanitizing stations. Like so all of the sort of technical fixed pieces yeah. are so much more expensive then people realize just if you do math, like this is not algebra. We're talking multiplication and the exponential. And, and subtract. Uh, and subtraction, <laughs> right? Like, right, right. And, you know, education is, you know, tr- traditionally more additive than subtractive. And unless you're talking about money, then it's always subtractive. But it's just, you know, the, the sheer amount, the volume that it's going to take on the sort of device side. And by device, I don't just mean chromes. I mean the devices of masks and gloves and, and shields and sinks and, you know, dividers and whatever devices, right? Like just the, the amount necessary to bring children back into the building and do so safely so that the, they feel safe the people in the building feel safe and their parents feel safe. Like the whole, what it's going to take to just create a culture of physical safety before we can get to a culture of emotional and social and academic safety and development is something I don't think people really have a deep enough grasp on. And I think that something that is important to also realize is that even in this age, we still have an incredible digital, uh, digital divide. That divide is no longer the one where you have devices, even though I have $200,000 worth of devices there that we have to issue students. 
But at the same time, it's about access. Right. It's the quality of the access that the students have in their homes. It's the quality of internet speed, but they, they're just using, they say, yes, I have internet because they're using their cell phone. Oh, whether they actually have a real broadband connection. That is the biggest thing that we have to face. We distribute, we ended up having to get hotspots and distributing hotspots to a number of people. I didn't even count the hotspots on the $200,000. I said $200,000 on Chromebooks out there, and we're going to have to put out more because the other guidance that we're getting is that they may not share devices. Mm-hmm. They may not even share a pen. So everybody has to get their own computer mm-hmm. as, they, as they're coming in. We used to, Luckily, we have enough, um, and we'll be able to just take them out of the classrooms, and we still leave one or two in the classrooms for emergencies. But um, if we didn't have them, and I, there's a lot of schools in our district that do not, they're going to have to buy them if you're going to use a computer at all for learning. Mm-hmm. If not, you're going back to paper and pencil. Right. Yeah. Yep. So there many you, layers. There are so many layers, exactly. Well, listen, I really appreciate the fact that both of you took time. I know these are very um, stressful days at this point. You're closing down schools. You're uh, you're fi- figuring out what's going to go on next year. So thank you so much to Sergio Garcia and Vincent Romano. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you want to know more about Artesia High School and Malvern High School, I hope you'll read Schools That Succeed from Harvard Education Press. As we begin winding down this season of the podcast, we have started to circle back to hear from folks we heard earlier in the podcast series. I'm hoping we can hear from more folks as we go along. I'm grateful to Mr. Garcia and Dr. Romano for spending some of their valuable time with us today to help others think through what running a school is like in these times. If you have found this conversation valuable, I hope you'll recommend today's episode and the entire series to your friends and networks. Please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. That will help steer people in our direction. If you want to be in touch, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at EdTrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tanji at Remarch76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks and see you next time.